for the Easter season. We return now to the book of Matthew. We, if you remember, we're in the Beatitudes, and now we come to the end of the Beatitudes, and we move into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we'll be in Matthew 5, uh, verses 10 uh, through 16. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 16. I, in way of reminder, because it has been a few weeks, uh, you'll remember Jesus has been giving blessings out. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And now we come to verse 10. That was a quick reminder. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works, and then give glory to God your Father, who is in heaven. I have always loved the movie Braveheart. I'm very envious of Linda, because she will soon be going to Scotland, and she'll get to see all these areas. Uh, if you've never seen Braveheart, Braveheart is the story of William Wallace. Uh, he was a high protector of Scotland, and as Scotland fought for its right for independence, he lived doing what he felt was right. He fought against Edward I. He was called Edward the Longshanks. But in the end, he was caught, he was captured, he was executed for his belief. He suffered for that which he believed in. We could look through the history of the church. If you've never looked at the book, Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs, it is a great book to see what those who have come before us suffered for their belief. Many, during the reign of Bloody Mary, Queen uh, Mary, were burned at the stake, and as they were burned at the stake, held their hands into the fire, singing praises to God. They boldly took on persecution to defend that which they believed to be true. There are many results to being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, as we recalled here, has been telling us what it means to be a follower. He has told us how to live a godly life. Now he tells us the result of this. This will be the result of you showing mercy, of you being a peacemaker, of you being a meek person. And so I want us to see three things. He says to us, you will be persecuted, but you are to be light or salt. And third, you are to be light. 
You will be persecuted, but you will be salt and you will be light. What does it mean to be persecuted? We've learned from Jesus that we should always expect the unexpected. He has already blessed the poor in spirit. This doesn't seem right. This seems counterintuitive. He's blessed those who mourn. Why would you bless the mourning? But now he blesses those who are persecuted because of righteousness. To understand this, we must remember who our Savior is. Jesus suffered much. But he also tells us that we will live a like, life like his if we are to be the Son of God, or, or if we are to follow the Son of God, excuse me, then we must follow in his footpath. We must walk his path. He tells us in John 15 that if these people will slander your master, they will certainly slander you as well. But the reality is, and I think each of us know this and we understand this, is that it's never fun to experience suffering. It's never fun to be pursued with violent intent. But Jesus tells us, if you were to follow the kingdom standards, if you were to be members, citizens of the kingdom of God, and you were to live as all these ways that I told you, you will, you will be persecuted. He says people will utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely accuse you on my account. But we have to remember in light of this, and we looked at this before when we were in Peter, that Jesus blesses, as he says here, those who revile you, or blesses you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. But there's an inverse to this. He doesn't bless us when we suffer not on his account. He does not bless us when we do wrong. Second Peter told us this. You're not going to be blessed when you get punished for doing sinful things. He does not bless those who socialize at work and call it witnessing even things we do in the name of God. If we're being disobedient, he does not bless. But he blesses all those who live according to that which he has put forth. We are called to suffer with Christ. In verse 10, he makes this a very general suffering. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. But he goes on in verse 11 to draw this out more. He says, others will revile you. They'll persecute you. They'll utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. We see insult, violent pursuit. We see slander. But in spite of this, he still personalizes the blessing. He said, blessed are you. This is a personal thing. This is not a general blessing. He says, blessed are you when this is done to you. We are to run. Excuse me. We are to be like Jesus. We are not to seek persecution. But we are also not to run from persecution. 
as disciples of Jesus. We are to be united with him. If we believe in him, then we share in his life and death. But we also share in his victory over death. But in this, we also share in the suffering that came with Christ before his death. This suffering that we looked at even in the last few weeks as he was mocked, as he was beaten, as he was crucified. We share in this. But this passage does something that is, it makes no sense to us. He says, when you're persecuted, even like I was persecuted, rejoice. Rejoice. He goes on to say here that great will be your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our persecution not only links us with Jesus, it links us with the prophets who suffered the same thing. Israel, as we know, was prone to sin. And as Israel fell into sin, God would send prophets And if there's anything that I know is true about me, and I'm sure is true about you, is we don't like it when people tell us we're sinning. It's not fun to be confronted with sin, is it? We tend to justify our actions and tell them why they're wrong. And the people of Israel were no different as the prophets came and told them their sin. They endured hostility from the people and even the king. And yet, even so, they prophesied. They continue to prophesy. They suffered, but they did not withdraw. When they saw pain, they showed mercy. When they saw conflict, they sought to make peace. It is easy when people are reviling us to turn against them. But we are to be like Jesus, like the prophets. There will always be conflict between Christianity and the world. This is without fail. We can see just from what Jesus tells us here to know that this is true. The world blesses the rich, but Jesus blesses the poor. The world blesses the carefree, but Jesus blesses those who mourn over evil. The world blesses the assertive and the aggressive. But Jesus blesses the meek and the mild. The world blesses those who can get what they want. But Jesus blesses those who hunger, those who thirst for righteousness. But I think we're still left with this question. How can we rejoice in persecution? The fact still remains that it is not fun to be persecuted. So how then can we rejoice in this persecution? But Jesus gives us the answer here, doesn't he? He says, for your reward is great in heaven. This reward, or when we think of reward, what do we think of? We think of if I do something right, then I get something. If I clean my room... I get my TV back. Right, Ashton? A reward is something we earn. But this reward is not something that we earn. The reward he gives to us is eternal life. And this reward has been earned for us. 
We can never truly earn anything from God. But God blesses us for our faithfulness. We are called in this to rethink our values, to endure persecution, is to endure something that is short-lived. Jesus, in essence, calls us to live for eternity. This is counter to a lot of the gospel that is being preached today. We've talked in the past about health and wealth, and this is not what they preach. They preach, if you believe and have enough faith, God will bless you now. And that may be true. God does bless us in this life. But there is no guarantee for this blessing. There are many Christians who endure persecution all their life. And yet Jesus comes and he says, you have eternity. This persecution now, this suffering now is but a drop in the bucket For your reward is great in heaven. We are called to live for eternity. This does not mean that there's no value in this life. We need to live well on this earth. But it enables us to live uprightly. But even as we live uprightly, sometimes our reward on this earth is still persecution warriors will always scorn those who seek peace and God never promises us that this will come in this life but he points us to heaven he says your reward is in eternity you will be rewarded for faithfully seeking him far too often When life is good, we forget about eternity. I think this is why Jesus talks over and over and over again in the New Testament, in the Gospels, about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. For when we have much, it's hard to trust on anyone but ourselves. When life is good, we forget about eternity. But Jesus wants us to see all things, how we live as kingdom citizens, how we are persecuted, how all of our life goes is to be seen in light of eternity. I think this is why it's hard, or it's been easy, I should say, for America to move so far away from God. Because there is no real suffering, there is no real need for dependence upon God. We can depend on all other sort of thing. Our job, our money. But he calls us to depend on him in all things. To live, not for this life, but to live for eternity. As a result of this, I don't think that we, we really encounter persecution as severe as most places around the earth. But we do still deal with it. And the question is, how will you respond to persecution? How will you respond when the world looks at you in judgment for what you believe? Will this judgment send us into silence? Will 
the fear of what people think of us, stir us into silence. How will we respond to being persecuted? Will we proclaim Christ or we clam up? And far too often, we are scared into silence. We do not proclaim the gospel of our Savior. Because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to mess up what we got going at work. We don't want to ruin relationships with friends, with family. But we are called to speak. And this is what our next two points are. He says, if, in essence, you are to be blessed as people persecute you, if you are to live for eternity, if you were to live for the kingdom, then this is what you are to be. First, he says, you are to be salt. You are the salt of the earth. What is salt? Well, it's a condiment, right? You put salt on things. It makes it better. Salt makes all things well. Salt and sugar. It's the two greatest things we need, right? <laughs> Linda knows what I'm talking about. Pepper, pepper too, yeah. Uh, salt, though, as we think about it, in the Old Testament position, was a bit different. It was a preservative. It's how they kept meat from decaying. Uh, they would cure their meats with salt. Uh, but, so what is he talking about here? He's saying, don't lose your saltiness. If salt loses taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? In essence, he's saying, if salt makes meat stop decaying, so does you as a Christian. Your saltiness prevents the decaying, the moral decay of the world. Men with evil plans and amb ambition may give them up because the righteous will resist them. We are to be like salt. We are to be stable. We are to be unchanging. But then how can salt lose its saltiness? If, if you have a jar of salt at home and you let it sit there for any length of time, it'll still be salt, right? Well, in the ancient Near East, they didn't have salt like we have salt. They didn't have refineries. They dug up rocks, and rocks had the salt, the sodium chloride in it. But if you left it out in the water or the rain... The sodium chloride, the salt, would be washed out. You would still have the husk, you could say. The rock would still be there, but the salt would be gone. It would be a shell of what it once was. It may have its original shape, but it no longer would be effective. What it was used for to, to take a decay away from meat would be ineffective. Jesus is saying, you must always be effective. You must always retain a distinct flavor. The more we understand our difference from the world, the greater the influence we will be. But the more we allow the world to affect us, the more we lose our saltiness. Jesus calls us here to be effective, to reduce the moral decay of the world. We are called to be salty and not just sassy you always hear that sometimes salty means sassy but it, it's a good image for us we know what it's like to eat food with no flavor is it fun to eat food that is not well salted it's gross at least i think it's gross you may be others out there who like it 
but it's just bland. There's no flavor, and salt changes everything, doesn't it? Just a little salt, a little pepper, and it can make a dish come to life. Salt is useful. Do you want to be flavorless? Do you want to be useless? If you pour some white stuff in a jar on food and it doesn't make it salty, are you ever going to use it again? No, it's useless. It's of no account. Will you be useless? Will you be salt with no flavor? Or will you be useful? Will you go into the world and bring the flavor that is the gospel boldly? He says salt without saltiness is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is such a... Jesus has a way of using such simple language that evokes such a good picture for us. It's something that we can understand very easily. Do you think or consider, as you walk from here to your car, the asphalt and dirt and rocks that you walk upon? You don't. Steve may. He may see the cracks and say we need to fill them. But aside from that, we don't. You don't think about the thing that you walk upon. And he says, if you are going to be a salt with no saltiness, you're as good as dirt or rocks on the ground that people pass over and care nothing about. It is a good illustration for us. It is a rebuke to us if we lose our saltiness. Then in the kingdom, we are good for little. We are good for nothing. But not only are we to be salt, we are also to be light. Jesus, in the scriptures, calls himself a light. John 8, 12, he says he's the light of nations. And in verse 14, he tells his disciples, he tells us, you are the light of the world. And in verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before others. We are to be a light to the world around us. When we think of lights, it's hard not to consider the sun. The sun is a great light. And I love, recently there's been a commercial, those Jimmy Dean commercials, I don't know if you've seen them, where you have the guy and he's the sun, right? He walks around as the sun. And he's there with his wife, which is interesting in and of itself, the sun is married. And he's sitting there, and there's one, one biscuit left, and they get into a staring contest. And at the end, you know, she loses, and she goes, he says, don't you know you're not supposed to stare at the sun? Right? We can't stare at the sun, right? What happens if we stare at the sun? It burns our eyes. You can't do it. You can't look directly into the sun. But we do happily gaze at the moon, don't we? On a dark night, we, if the moon is out, we'll go and we'll look at the moon. But where does the light from the moon come from? The sun is a reflection of the light of the sun. We are to be like the moon. People may not want to look directly at the sun with an O and not with a U, S-O-N. They may not want to look directly at Jesus, but they may see our deeds. They may see our works. And Jesus says as a result of this, as a result of your good works, They may give glory to God your Father who is in heaven. When they see our light, when they see us us shine, they may look back 
to the one who we are reflecting. They may look back to Christ. There are many responses to being confronted with Jesus. Just here we've seen a range from being persecuted to praising God. And in between persecution and people praising God, this is where we are to live as salt and light. All men, both Christian and non-Christian alike, live under a common curse. We know as Christians that we often do foolish and sinful things. But we also know that all men, whether Christian or not, lives under a common grace. Unbelievers will listen to what we say. They may even admire the way that we live. And we've all heard this. Well, Christians, some people say this, not all, live moral lives and they see this as good. But if they look past our goodness, they may see the source of our goodness. Our hope should be then that our light and God's grace shine. And because of this, we should never fear any opposition. We should never fear persecution. We should always proclaim Christ boldly. I remember growing up, and I know we've all heard this. You always think of that song, right? This little light of mine. And we all know it. I'm going to let it shine. And what is it? Hide her under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. What's the other one? Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. This is what it's called to. It's a simple song. And we all know it. But this is what it calls us to. That we got to let our light shine. If you cover up a light, what good is it? It does nothing. It's of no effect. Again, like the salt, a light that is covered is useless. It's of no good. He says you're to be like a light on a city set upon a hill. If a city is set upon a hill and everything else around it is flat, your eyes will be drawn to that light, will it not? We are to look, we are to be like that, like a city set on a hill, full of light, like a lighthouse set upon a rock. We are to be useful. We cannot be useless. We are to reflect the light of Christ to a sinful world. And so I ask you this question. How are you reflecting the light of Christ? It's all something we all must do without excuse. We must be spreading the good news of the gospel with our words, with our thoughts, with our deeds, with our actions. All of our life must be a reflection of of the light that is in us. What is a candle? What is a light that is being covered? If I had a, just a bucket or something before you right here, and I said there's a light underneath it, I proclaimed that there was a light there, but I never showed it to you, then what would you have to believe me? If we say we have light in us and yet we cover it so that nobody can see it, what is to believe that that light is really there? We must 
reflect the light of Christ. We must be useful and not useless. And in doing this, the world around us may give glory to God. And this is the end, the chief end of all that we do to give glory to God. We have seen that Jesus tells us that we will be persecuted, but that we are to be salt and we are to be light. We will be persecuted in this life. It is a guarantee that if you try to live after Christ, you will be persecuted. But in spite of this persecution, and I think this is the reason why Jesus follows this salt and light with the persecution, because it's easy for us to say, oh, persecution, then I will not be useful. But he says, you will be persecuted, and you are to be salt, and you are to be light. You are to change the blandness of the world and add the flavor of the gospel. You are not to be a mere shell with no salt in it. You are called to be light. You are called to reflect your heavenly Savior. Brothers and sisters, I pray that through this week you would ask this question. Am I being salty? Am I being a light? If not, how can I be a light? How can I be salt? As we come to this table, would this prayer be on our hearts? As we think and reflect upon what Christ has done for us in the cross, as we come and eat this bread and we drink this cup, let us remember what he has done. Let us ask ourselves, how are we reflecting the light of our heavenly Savior? Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we come now before you, rejoicing in what you have done. And Lord, we willingly and fully admit that it is not easy to live to the standards which you have put here. That it is not easy to be persecuted and desire to still be useful. But we pray that you would work this in us. That you would work all things in us, that which is pleasing to you. That we would not hesitate. That we would not delay to bring salt and light to this world. And we pray all this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Please stand as we sing the hymn of response.